Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. What happens when you work for years to uncover a forgotten massacre, toil to reveal the truth, only to become the story yourself? In the last episode of The Tip-Off, we heard from journalist Barry McCaffrey. He had worked for years to put together the pieces of how a notorious mass murder had gone unsolved in Northern Ireland. Working with film producer Trevor Burney and director Alex Gibney, the journalists had told a story of incompetence, collusion and cover-ups. It had been a journey fraught with twists and dangers, but the release of the resulting documentary film was far from the end of the story. I'm Maeve McClendigan. This is The Tip-Off. I'll never forget their words. We will leave no stone unturned. And those words ring in my ear to this day because... I don't think they ever left it a stone. Never mind turned it. It's November 2015 and Barry is still reeling from the adrenaline of finally seeing the film No Stone Unturned released. The film laid out some worrying evidence that the Northern Irish police force had colluded with terrorists, letting the man suspected of killing six innocent men get away scot-free. The film had a great reception, but the buzz was short-lived. Almost immediately after the film is aired, the police release a statement to say that they believed that lives had been put at risk and that the document that we used, uh, they were going to investigate whether it had been stolen or there was a breach of the Official Secrets Act or data protection. Now this was strange. The film had laid out all kinds of ways the police in Northern Ireland had failed to investigate the murders of six men. Now, in the wake of Barry and Co's findings, the police service of Northern Ireland did ask another force from Durham, England, to look into whether there had been any wrongdoing. But they did not seem to be looking into the murders. Despite all the evidence in the film, they were not jumping to attention to look into those allegations. No, they were talking about going after the journalists. After Barry. It was almost as if they hadn't been watching the same film for the next year, what we now know was they were secretly building a case to arrest Trevor Burney, the producer and brains and inspiration behind the whole thing. Barry was worried. This was a strange turn none of them had seen coming. Journalists are usually protected from handing over documents or records to police. 
but officers can apply to the court asking them for a production order that documents be handed over, arguing they need to see them for public security or official secrets reasons. Normally, that should be done in open court, and a journalist or media organisation should have a chance to argue against the request. None of that happened. In this case, the police went to a secret court, and we believe they misled the court, and they got warrants to search our houses and our offices and arrest us. And so it was. At 7am on the 31st of August 2018, Barry's morning routine was interrupted by a knock on the door. I was working in the BBC at the time. I was just about to go to work and it it gets a knock at the door and and, and I can see down the stairs through the glass that it's it's a policeman in a boiler suit. So I go down, I open the door and big burly policeman, it's, it's, it's you know, very nice, explained why he was here and, and that they were going to have to come in and search the house and and that was fine and I was in my dressing gown. I said, and can I go up and get washed and dressed and and they say, yeah, yeah, no problem because they're all wearing body cams, they've all little cameras on their flak jackets or whatever, uh, on their boiler suits and the big policeman says, uh, I'm really sorry about this but you know, one of my colleagues is going to have to go with you. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. It was going to hurt him more than me. And so you, you have to undress. Was it degrading? Yes. Was it necessary? I don't think so. But did anybody hit me? Did anybody break anything? No. At this stage, I say to the policeman, uh, here's the keys to the front door. You wouldn't pop them through the letterbox when you're finished because I'm, I'm going to work in the BBC now. And he says, no, 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 not today. We're going to have to arrest you now. Barry blinked. Arrested? Arrested for what? Confused, he followed the detective out of the door and they bundled him into a police car. Driving through the streets of Belfast, Barry tried to make sense of what was going on. Soon, he was arriving at the police station. He knew the building fairly well because of his days reporting on crime, so he knew to be alarmed at what happened next. We're brought down to Musgrave Street Police Station, the serious crime suite. On the ground floor is shoplifters, people who are drunk, people who have made a fool of themselves the night before. On the second floor, this is the Osama bin Laden suite. This is where the serious characters go. And I was hoping we would be on the ground floor. Uh, We would just be treated like shoplifters, but no, we go up to the penthouse. And so you, you're fingerprinted, your mugshot taken, you have your DNA, oh, swabs and everything else taken. And then they put you in a cell. Alone in the police cell, Barry tried to process what had just happened. He couldn't quite believe it was real. The biggest problem that you have is you've no knowledge of what's happening because they won't let you phone your solicitor. They take all your phones and your computers and everything away from you straight away. It's one of those moments in your life where you realise, right, this is a game changer. You don't know if you're the only ones arrested, if everybody's been arrested, you, you just don't know where you are. And so I got in underneath the blanket and I just cried like a baby. Uh, and all I wanted was my mummy because uh, I'm 48 and uh, you know, I was like a baby. But it turned out Barry wasn't alone. More after this. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Barry is lying in a bleak police cell. How has it come to this? For years he's been reporting on the cover-up of crime and now he is the one being held. He's beginning to despair when suddenly a noise echoes down the hall. A voice he recognises. Fellow journalist and producer of No Stone Unturned, Trevor Burney. Trevor Burney is deaf, he's, he's very bad hearing so he has to shout everywhere and I hear this voice coming down. I'm in under a blanket and I'm feeling sorry for myself and all the world's against me and I hear this whoa, 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 and it was like Julie Andrews, it was like the sound of music. If I could have went through that steel door and kissed him, first of all you know you're not alone but you also know right, he's there he seems happy enough and if he's happy enough I'm going to be happy enough. So they kept us apart all day and each time he was being brought past my cell. There's a wee spy holer, wee, and he would get up to the spy hole and he would shout in, yes, yeah, and I was like, go away. It's like porridge. He would shout in, you're singing like a canary. Finally, Barry's taken out of his cell and brought to a room to meet his solicitor. It's only then he gets any idea of why he's being held. The police are suggesting that Barry stole the unredacted report from the police ombudsman the one that laid out in black and white how the murder suspects were identified early on and how the police let them all go. The report that had arrived to Barry's office in a manila envelope from an anonymous source. They were accusing him of stealing it. The first thing was the theft of the document. And I'm going, well, John, it's not theft. You know, it, it came through the post. And then it was handling of stolen goods which was this document. So the first two offences, they were connected. And if that was the prosecution case, it was built in a hill of sand because it was a leaked document. Journalists get leaked documents every day of the week. 
Then, he was also being charged under the Data Protection Act because, as part of their research, Barry and Trevor had tracked down a former police officer who'd worked on the case and had gone to meet him where he was living in France. That confused me, because I'm saying, John, what's that about? I, I don't understand that. There's something wrong there. You know, that doesn't make sense. You can see the problems that you're going to have. You can understand, right, this is the issues that I'm going to have to address. But obtaining the police officer's personal details, sorry, where did that come from? The last offence or the last allegation was breach of the Official Secrets Act. Yeah, it made it all very much more serious. So there were numerous charges, ranging from theft of the leaked document to breaching the Official Secrets Act. These were serious accusations, charges that, if prosecuted, could land Barry and Trevor in jail for years. Barry's mind was reeling, but there was little time to process. Soon he found himself being questioned by the police. But there was something strange going on. One of the men had an English accent. It turned out he wasn't from the Northern Irish Police Services, but was from Durham Constabulary, the force that had been invited in to investigate whether the Irish police had slipped up. And here he was interviewing Barry. And the questioning was unusual, to say the least. During the questioning, the Durham detective, he says, uh, do not feel ashamed of the hurt and pain that you have caused Ronnie Hawthorne, the police's main suspect, the man who they said killed six people. And I couldn't actually say anything because I was on a no-comment interview. And it was up to my solicitor. John, my solicitor, said, sorry, this is the man who you say killed six people. And you're asking my client... Is he not ashamed for the hurt and the pain that, you know, you have caused him? So that's how bizarre it got. It got even more strange. All the while, during the questioning, Barry bit his tongue and simply replied no comment while his lawyer did the talking. It turned out the police's accusations of data protection breaches centred on the fact that Barry and Trevor had tracked down one of the police officers who had worked on the murder case, a guy called Albert Carroll. They said, well, you went to see... Albert Carroll in France. Carroll believes that you must have got his personal details from either the police ombudsman or a policeman. And again, I was on a no-comment interview. So it was up again to my solicitor to say, well, have you checked the French phone book? Because there were only, I'm not saying how many, but there are only a small number of Albert Carrolls in the French phone book. And Albert was the first one to pick the phone up. And they hadn't checked the French phone book. It showed just the ludicrous nature of the whole thing. After those long and confusing police interviews, Barry and Trevor were released on police bail. And that was the first time I got to see Trevor. We were brought into a room. At one stage, they were going to try and impose this ludicrous thing where we couldn't associate together even though we were working together. Throughout the day, my solicitor would say to me, this thing's blowing up on Twitter, and Alex Gibney has said, and there's a lot of attention about this. It turned out the police had put out a press release about the arrests, and Twitter had blown up with support for the detained journalists. In some ways, that's great that you know, you're getting support, but in other ways, journalists aren't the story. We're not supposed to be the story. If we're in front of the camera, we haven't done our jobs right. On the steps of the police station, the press were waiting. 
Barry and Trevor found themselves in front of the TV cameras. It's an attack on the press. Everybody should realise it's, it's, it's us today. Tomorrow it could be you. I remember getting just wanting to get away from everybody. So we did our TV interviews and we walked off and we bumped into some of the other people from our office. They had been going through the same thing because the police had gone in and taken everything from the office, stuff that had nothing to do with the film. They had just went on a fishing expedition. Crucially, the big thing was, and this was how they were found out in court, was they took stuff that legally had no right to have. The search warrant said that they could only look for stuff that was linked to this film, no stone unturned. Those computers, those files contained sensitive information about vulnerable sources from stories completely unrelated to the film. And yet the police had swept in and taken everything. If they didn't know it already, that made it clear. This was going to be a fight about something much bigger than Barry alone. So Barry's just gotten out of the police cell to find out his and Trevor Burney's offices had been raided. It's a lot to handle. We bumped into the people from our office. Everybody was saying, right, we need to go for a drink. We need to get our heads around this. And I can remember saying, well, I'm just going around the corner to the cash machine and just walking off and getting the bus home. Then going around to my mother's just to see my mother because you couldn't phone her because you hadn't got a phone. And then thinking, I'll just stay here tonight. And then waking up at 3am and realising that I'd broken my bail. Because my bail was that I had to stay in my own house. And thinking, oh God, they're going to come knocking on the door. From the 1st of October, our campaign started. This was an attack on press freedom. It was about catching the whistleblower, catching the sources and sending a message to the other journalists. The state saying, don't ask the awkward questions because if you do, you'll end up in the police cell. So out in the real world, Barry and Trevor and their lawyers started working on their legal case. From the US, Alex Gibney was getting involved too, shouting about the injustice and supporting where he could. And they found some pretty incredible stuff. It turned out the main suspect for the massacre that they'd reported on, well, he was the prosecution's main witness. There was two people who they were using against us. The police had to prove reputational damage and the only way that they could prove reputational damage was to go to Ronnie Hawthorne and say to Ronnie Hawthorne, Ronnie, did you see that film? Oh, yes, I did. What did you think of it? Oh, it was terrible. Would you like us to investigate Ronnie? Because he said he has a rat-killing company or whatever and he goes, nobody wants to employ me anymore. Nobody wants me to kill rats anymore. And that's how bizarre it got. They tried to stop us publicly revealing that Ronnie Hawthorne was their main prosecution witness. The lead detectives against us uh, tried to get this imposed on our bail that we couldn't speak about who the witnesses were, even though we believe it showed the ludicrous nature of the whole supposed investigation. The team soon realised this case would come down to arguments over some pretty fundamental issues. 
Crucially, it was our defence is this thing called Article 10 of the European Convention of Human Rights. And it says that journalists, we have an obligation to protect sources, and we can uh, expose wrongdoing when we find it. But what the state was trying to do us under was the Section 5 of the Official Secrets Act, which would have compelled all journalists to hand all material back that you weren't allowed. If confidential government material comes into your a journalist's possession, a journalist has to hand it back. If they had have won their case, every journalist wouldn't have been allowed to use that material. They would have had to hand it back. It was the first time that these two competing uh, arguments, principles, were being tested against each other in a court of law. And that's why it was so crucial for journalism that we had to win. This, they realised, was a case about far more than just them. It was a case that would create important case law for journalists in the future. Journalism was on trial here. In the run-up to the trial, Barry and Trevor spoke out, trying to get everyone and anyone to listen. We go to Westminster and we meet Labour MPs and Tory MPs, SNP, Liberal, SDLP, right across the board. We had our photograph taken with everybody, with Boris Johnson, Tom Watson... John McDonald, anybody who wanted their, who would get in a photograph with us, we would do it. The months passed with the men still on police bail and one by one organisations from across the world came out in support of Barry and Trevor. Reporters Sans Frontier, the Reporters Committee for the Defence of the Freedom of Journalists, I always forget their name, in Washington. They sent lawyers into the court, the Media Lawyers Association, which is the BBC, The Guardian, all the big heavy hitters. Here's Seamus Dooley, Assistant General Secretary of the National Union of Journalists, talking to the press outside the courthouse. This is an enormous public interest case. This is not just about the right of journalists, it is about human rights. We have here two workers whose tools have been confiscated on the basis that someone doesn't like what they have done. They've been arrested on foot of a complaint by the PSNI. PSNI, despite uh, uh, the involvement of an external force, have led this investigation. And today we stand here in solidarity with our journalists, with our members and with the filmmaker because yet again we are being made the target and we will not stand for that. But there were some noticeable absences too. The high profile people that would often criticise foreign governments for oppression of the press were now silent. People like then Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt. Hello, I'm Jeremy Hunt. I'm here in Ethiopia for World Press Freedom Day. And I'm here to highlight an issue that we need to be talking about more, which is that the basic freedoms that journalists need to do their job are under threat all over the world. Last year, 99 journalists were killed uh, in the course of doing their job. Another 350-odd were imprisoned. I think there's an irony that Jeremy Hunt and Amal Clooney and, and everybody else, and they have every right to expose attacks on press freedom. We are here because it's never been more dangerous to report the news. And I'm honoured to be asked to contribute legal proposals on steps that governments can take to improve the protection of journalists um, by being the chair of a new independent legal panel. I support them 100% when they're doing that. But I think there's a certain huge spoonful of hypocrisy when for 10 months they knew what was happening to Trevor Burney 
and our families and they did nothing. They never asked one question. They never asked to meet us. They never asked the NUJ about us. They never, Amnesty wrote on countless occasions asking them to meet us. And it was just silence. I don't know how serious they are about defence of press freedom. I just don't see how you can ignore what happened on your own doorstep. On the 20th of May 2019, nine months after they were first arrested, the day of the trial finally came. Over the course of three days, Barry and Trevor's lawyers argued that the freedom of the press to report was at stake here, that the journalists had done exactly what they were supposed to do to protect their sources, and that there was no evidence at all to suggest the document had been stolen by either defendant. Barry watched it all from the court bench. He wasn't totally sure what to make of it, but things seemed to be going well. Still, these processes are long. They weren't expecting a judgement then. Landmark cases like this often need a lot of mulling over. The judge could take up to six months to hand down the ruling. Soon it came time for the summing up, to bring the hearing to a close. On the 31st of May, 10 past 12, the court was absolutely bunged. There wasn't standing room. David Davies, the Tory MP, was there and lots of different politicians came and went. And I think the, the judiciary saw, because of the, the, the press coverage outside, it saw that this was a serious case. And the judges rose and they said, we're rising now, the case is finished, but we're, we're going to come back with an indication. We were expecting not to hear anything for six months. Within literally five minutes, the judges reappeared and said that we had done absolutely nothing wrong, that we had acted at all times within the law and appropriately. The key thing was that we had abided by the NUJ's code of ethics and that journalists are entitled to protect sources. That is the crucial thing in the case. That is a legal right. Up until the minute that a production order is served, a journalist can destroy whatever she or he thinks is fit to protect the source. That is the law. We feel that we have, we have been totally vindicated. Barry and Trevor were ecstatic. The judge told the court, the material that was before the judge and the material which was subsequently demonstrated to us does not indicate that the journalist acted in anything other than a perfectly proper manner with view to protecting their sources in a lawful way. He went on to say they were doing just what the National Union of Journalists required them to do with regard to protecting the identity of their sources. Broadcasters Trevor Burney, Barry McCaffrey and their legal team carrying phones and documents which were seized from them by the police. Inside a white van, the rest of their items, including computer hard drives. The journalists were involved in a documentary about the Lochin Island killings and it was after that their homes were searched and thousands of documents seized. But it wasn't quite over yet. The judge had ordered the police to return all the computer files and phones back to the journalists and to destroy all their copies of the material, finding that they'd been taken inappropriately. The police have now say that they can't destroy this material because it, it is all backed up on tape rather than digital, uh, and that it would cost them millions to edit and to splice tape. The police want to hold on to this material, which the courts have already told them they are illegally holding. The police are now saying that they want to hold on to this material illegally for another 10 years. 
it's not about our case. It's about not only press freedom, but it's about the protection of individuals. If a court tells a police or a police force that they have illegally obtained information and that they have to destroy that information, I'm sorry, a, a police force can't say, oh no, sorry, we want to hold on to it for another 10 years. That's just not acceptable. And that's the situation where, where we find ourselves in. And we feel that if the police aren't compelled to do what the court has instructed, that this is a major breach of data protection and a major breach of a human right. After decades of work investigating and then harrowing months defending their right to investigate, at last Barry was coming out the other side. We just want to get on with our lives. It's had a serious psychological effect on our families. Trevor's eight-year-old daughter had to watch her daddy being arrested. You know, they took Trevor's 15-year-old daughter's GCSE homework. But the key thing is that you can see is finally my daughter's getting her little lollipop USB stick back, which apparently has her GCSE homework coursework on. You know, this was what breach of national security, you know, a GCSE geography homework. It was bizarre, it, it was ludicrous, but we're hopefully out, out the other side. Barry fought a fight for journalists everywhere. And more than that, for people everywhere that deserve to be told the facts, to have the information they need to navigate the world. People that deserve a free and open press. An injustice is an injustice. A story is a story. If a story has to be told, it has to be told. We have the best job in the world. Society trusts us to provide it with the information of what is going on in society. The society needs to feel confident that somebody can provide it with the truth, that, that this isn't fake news, this isn't social media. Society needs to be able, be able to rely on proper, serious journalism. That is an honour and it's a privilege to do. You can't walk away. You can't say, I don't fancy this anymore. This, this is too dangerous. You've been given that privilege. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's tough. We, we just had the misfortune to hit the the rock on the road. But would we do it again? We'll do it again every day of the week and twice on Sunday. That's all for this episode of The Tip-Off. Thanks to Barry McCaffrey for telling that story. I've included some links to stories about the trials and about the film No Stone Unturned in the show notes. The Tip-Off is hosted and produced by me, Maeve McClendigan, with production support by Chica Ayres. Our theme music is by Dice Muse. If you like the show, please do make sure you're subscribed, tell a friend, tweet at Tip-Off Podcast, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference in spreading the word. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 